Then he goes on and says, God's blessed this church and you guys are taking his good gifts and, using, and you're using them to bludgeon each other. So some of you can, can talk in tongues is one of the big things for Corinthians. And you, you talk in tongues and then you look at the person next to you and go, so you can't talk in tongues yet. Mm. Mm. There, there. That horrible, condescending. Horrible thing. I wasn't speaking to you, Glennis. <laughs> And that's fine. Paul will we'll come to that in chapter 12, I think. Um, Paul says, desire the more the gifts that will edify the church. But this is a church which is perfect in Christ and yet using the good gifts of God to bludgeon each other. Uh, one of their big problems is that they, they were forming into cliques. And so you've got the, I follow Paul, and he founded the church, and so we know what's right in this church, and, and just do what we say, because it's always been done this way. And then you've got the, I follow Apollos. Oh, Apollos is a really good speaker, and oh, 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 I can use really 63-syllable words and confound you, because you must agree with me. And then you've got the Peter group, which goes, well, you know, really, we, we, should, be, we should be following the law, we should be more morally superior than the rest. Peter groups are the kind of groups that, that uh, I don't know, march outside of funerals to protest against things. You, you know there's some groups like that in America? No love. And then you get the, well, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower group. And it's not really I follow Jesus, it's I'm spiritually so far above you. Horrible groups. And Paul's written to them, he says, what is wrong with you? Why are you following people when, when really you should be following Christ? And he carries on with that today and he says to them, my dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Well, that's a slap in the face if you think that you're really spiritual. I couldn't speak to you as though you were spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or, or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Just by the way, Paul spent a year and a half with them. I think it's a year and a half. This is probably a few more years after that that he's writing this. He says, you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of each other, and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or, or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For, for we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You're God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I, I laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but... But whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful because no one can lay for any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. But 
on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder receives a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys His temple. For God's temple is holy. You are that temple. The you there is plural, by the way. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to truly be wise. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, He traps the wise in the snares of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows that they are worthless. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. Everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And so look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear. That doesn't prove that I'm right. It's the Lord Himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of the time before the Lord returns. For He will bring our darkest secrets to light and and He will reveal our private motives. And then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Dear brothers and sisters, I've used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I've quoted you from the Scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? A half want to say, just listen to that and go home. What is Paul saying here? He looks at this church that he founded, that has been going for ages, that has had fantastic teachers there. I mean, this is a church that had Paul as a preacher for a year and a half. And then, who do they get? They get the brilliant Apollos. Fantastic teaching in this church. Wonderful teaching. And yet Paul writes to them in this letter and the thing he has to say to them is, you guys have stunted development. You should be way up there. You're really way down there. And there's a point, yes, if you're, if you're brand new to the Christian faith, there's some stuff that you're just not going to be able to grasp. Um, th- th- there are some topics that you wouldn't speak to your three-year-old child about. And that's, that's right. But, but what Paul is looking at here is he's got a 30-year-old and he can't speak with three-year-old topics about. These guys should be chomping on the chops of the gospel and instead they're drinking the milk. They thought themselves 
so spiritual and so wise and so mature. And Paul turns around in verse 2 and says, you guys are still wearing your diapers. And I think this is, this is an important point right there for us to realize. The mere lapse of time does not make you a mature Christian. The mere lapse of time does not make you a mature Christian. If you have been a Christian, a follower of Jesus, since you were two years old, just because you turned 70, how, how old are you, Glennis? Oh, not that. <laughs> just, be, just because you turned 83 doesn't mean that automatically you can become an elder in the church. Just because you've been a Christian or follower of Jesus for 40 years doesn't mean that you're spiritually mature. In fact, you can have somebody who says, I've been a Christian for 40 years, being less mature than somebody who's been a Christian for a year. Maturity doesn't just come with time. Maturity comes, yes, time plays into it, but but also comes into it is, is how are you following Christ? How are you growing in your walk with Him? Are you just doing the same things over and over again? Are you the same person you are today as you were last year? If so, there's a problem. And I bet you can speak to... I've spoken to Eric before and he says to me, you know what, I remember 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I was in the ministry, I was like this and now I totally am thinking differently and God's brought this change to me. Because mature, I hope you don't mind me mentioning you, Eric. That's one of my problems. I mention people without asking. Maturity comes as we grow in the likeness of Christ. It doesn't come just because we plop our bottoms down on a seat every Sunday. It doesn't come just because we, we have ticked the card three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. That's, by the way, why it's not wrong to have an elder who is 30 years old or 20 years old if they are spiritually mature. How do we know if somebody is spiritually mature? Well, in the end, I think what Paul says there is, you know what, God's the one who judges. But there's some sure great hints of immaturity. One of them, says Paul, is he looks at the congregation, he says, you guys are fighting. They're like babies. You're going, mine, 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 mine. You don't need to be a genius to say that if people are quarreling and fighting and jealous of one another, that they're not really that mature. I mean, that doesn't really match up with the picture of who Jesus is. Jesus, who considered equality with God something to be grasped and so refused to come. No. Jesus, who considered equality with God something not to be grasped, and so he humbled himself and he came down as a servant. How is it possible for these people to be Christians? And yet Paul says of them, 
and yet you are controlled by your sinful nature. Your old translations, your, your King James translation, I think, speaks about that. And yet you are carnal. Which is a horrible word, actually. How does this work? I think in part it, it's the now and the not yet. We, we are perfect in Christ. It's what Paul said. We are perfect in Christ. And yet we've still got many, many issues. You know, even today there are carnal Christians. There are Christians with stunted development. And what I'm not talking about here is somebody who who perhaps has ticked the box at a rally when they were 15 and never darkened the doorsteps of a church again. That's not a, a stunted Christian. That's just a not Christian. What I'm talking about is, is people who, who perhaps even, well, definitely have the Spirit of God, have been blessed by God, have been gifted by God in various ways and and yet refuse to let God have the deciding say in their lives. Maybe not in all the areas of their life, but in some areas. No God. I love you. You're wonderful. But I will eat 14 cherry pies. No, God. I love you and you're wonderful. But I'm really angry with this person. No, God. I, I love you, but... But they really hurt me. I know you are love. You love them. Because I'm not going to. Ever been there? I've been there. I reckon we go there quite often. And I think the Spirit keeps showing us new places where we where we need to let go and, and give God control of our lives. What Paul is speaking of here is people who have just bluntly said no. I know better than you, God. And Paul says, you guys are just like the people in the world when you do that. But remaining as part of the world is just not an option. Now, in the Corinthian church, one of the problems is that they were following these personality cults, these leaders um, treating people of more importance than God. 
Um, and Paul looks at them and says, he, come on. Paul, I did my bit. I planted some seed and Apollos did his bit. He watered it. Let's just think about this a little bit. If I didn't plant the seed, Apollos' watering is useless. If I planted the seed but Apollos didn't water it, useless. We're fellow workers. We are, we are the ones who work under the head gardener, under God. Because in the end, if I plant a seed, it's not going to do anything until God makes it do something. And if, if Apollos waters till the cows come home, unless God makes the seed grow, nothing's going to happen. It says, Paul, we are merely servants. Um, the word there is the word for deacon, which means those who wait at tables. Paul says, we are merely waiters. I love one of my commentaries said, isn't it fantastic? Who cares what the waiter looks like as long as you know you've got a great chef in the kitchen? And that's what Paul says, the chef is fantastic. Why would you go into your restaurant and say, I, I'm not getting served by anyone except for that person? The food's going to be the same. Hey, they're Christians. The quality is probably going to be pretty close as well. One of them might speak to you in, in a slightly different accent, but hey, it doesn't really matter. And you know what? Even if, even if different people are different and they bring different gifts, the source of the power is God. Paul writes, he, I love how he, he says one thing. He says, you, you are like plants and seeds and watering and growing. And then he says, hey, maybe you just haven't got it yet. You are, after all, infantile. So let's change the topic. How about builders? I am an architect, says Paul. That's the word he uses there. The, the word for, for I'm, the, I'm the skill builder. Not quite our architect, but, but the guy who stands at the construction site and makes sure things goes right and gets the right works to do the right job. And Paul says, my job was to lay this foundation. There's a really important foundation, Jesus Christ. If you don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ, then I don't know what you are, but you're not a Christian. It kind of makes sense. Jesus says, I laid this foundation because I wanted to be really sure that you guys had a solid, firm footing for your faith. There can be no alternative foundation laid, says verse 11. And, and the problem in the Corinthian church is that some of them were going, oh, great foundation laying, Paul. Come on, everyone, let's build on Paul. Or, come on everyone, let's make Apollos our foundation. Or, hey, this church will grow as long as we've got Nicholas at the helm. Nobody said that to me. Well done. <laughs> or, hey, as long as we've got Billy Graham, the Crusades will see people coming to know Christ. Yeah, if you build on a human being, your building's going to flop. Big time. Probably when they do something wrong. Definitely when they die. Or when they move on. There's only one firm foundation, that is the one who is eternal and unchanging, and that is Jesus. God, the Father. And so Paul says in verses 12 to 15, I've built this really great foundation. And, and yes, you don't just sit on a foundation. 
Wouldn't it be horrible with the rain going outside if we were sitting inside on this beautiful foundation and there's nothing else around us? Paul says, of course, you've got to build. In verses 16 to 17, we're building a temple. We, the people, are the temple. This, this church has to be built up. And yes, the people are going to build. They're going to do different jobs. Some are fantastic builders. Others are incredibly shoddy builders. Some people use silver and gold and precious jewels. And, and, and I mean, that's the sort of stuff they used to build the temple in the Old Testament. And, and wow, what a beautiful thing. Other people go, hey, I can do this a lot cheaper if I, if I put some wood up and then spray paint it with gold paint. The question for everyone who works in the church is, am I being true to the foundation that has been laid? In other words... Is everything that I'm doing encouraging and enabling the church to worship God and to follow Jesus? And Paul says on the day when Jesus comes, all of our work, and, and by the way, this is not just addressed to me as the pastor or to the deacons and the elders. Um, we are a priesthood of believers. If you're in the church, you're working in the church, it's your job to build this church. Sorry, that's the way Jesus set it up. On the day when Jesus comes back, our work will be tested. And if it's shoddy work, we will suffer loss. I dread when Jesus comes back seeing some of my work burn up. And I think that includes seeing some people that have slipped through the gaps or who I haven't reached when I should have reached. or who have perhaps left the church because of something that I've done, who are no longer Christians. I bet you guys will dread the same stuff. And, and everyone's life is a mixture of, of shoddy workmanship and fantastic workmanship. And so there's going to be fantastic jewels there as well. I pray. I pray that there are some jewels in the little bit of the temple that I've put together. Hebrews calls them a cloud of witnesses. And there will be rewards. Jesus looking at us going, well done, my good and faithful servant. <clears throat> and isn't it wonderful that even if everything burns down, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, we will escape, yeah, as, as though we're running through a wall of fire. but if you're in Christ, you're in Christ and you've, you've got it made, you're in heaven. You'll suffer loss. You, you look and go, why did I waste all my time building stuff that hasn't lasted? Building 
into people who are not in the kingdom. Because I thought I'd do a, a mediocre job. I love verse 15 where it says, you know, you'll still get in, you'll still get in. Because all of us have good and bad in our building practices. Except, says Paul, verse 16 and 17, reminds us again that we are building a temple of God. And it says, don't you realize that God's temple is holy? And if instead of doing it, building is good. Shoddy building is not as good as good building, but building is good. What's bad is destruction. Coming up the front and going, let me tie this millstone around your legs. Oh, you love Jesus. I'm so glad. Now, have you done this? Yes. Have you done? Oh, you haven't done this. Jesus spoke about this in, in Matthew 18. He says, if you cause even one of these little ones who trust me, to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Or as Paul puts it in verse 17, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. One of the ways you can destroy, and, and Paul doesn't say the Corinthians went here, but they, I think he's picking up and saying, hey, you're pretty close. One of the ways you can destroy the church is to say, hey, it's not all about Jesus. Actually, it's all about this or that person or doing this. Because if you start building off the foundations... Just imagine, I'm not a builder, but impromptu illustration. Here I am building. Here's the foundation. Oh, that's very stoddy and sturdy. So I'm just going to build just just a little bit further out, and you know, this is this is good good building. Hey, this is fantastic. go off the foundation and things collapse. Go off the foundation and things collapse. Paul says in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 4 that it is God who will judge. He says quite plainly, I'm not really worried about you guys. I, I think I've done a pretty good job, but <laughs> hey, even my motives aren't that clear to me, says Paul. Yeah, I've got a responsibility to be faithful, but God is the one who will hold me to that responsibility. And so if God is the judge, who are we to stand and say, you are better than that person, or that person is better than you? It says Paul in verses 18 to 23 of chapter 3, we need to stop deceiving ourselves, we need to grow up, we need to stop being so wise in terms of the world as to how... Remember, we're speaking here about wisdom pertaining to salvation. So we, stop need, we, stop, we need to stop 
thinking about our salvation the way the world thinks. We have to do more, we have to be more, we have to make God happier. So Paul, grow up and get a bit foolish, why don't you? Trust God! The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. You think you're clever, you're stumbling over your own trap. Don't bother boasting, everything is yours in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Jesus said it. Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen me and you've believed, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet they believe. We belong to Jesus. He has given us a task of growing his body here. I hope that one day on Judgment Day we'll be standing and staring at the crowd of witnesses at the church and going, wow, look at that gold. Look at those jewels. And I pray we'll be standing tall, not small.